0: Let's pray. Oh, God, what this choir just saying Set us up. You knew it would. Dear Father, you also know this is the most important message some here will ever hear. You know who is here to distract us. But we know who is here through His Spirit to make sure that we get the truth. Have your way, I humbly pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you, ever seen the, the, have you ever seen the picture of what they're calling the dirtiest man in the world? Put it on the screen for you. You see him there, 80 years of age. That's Amu Haji. A hermit in South Iran who has gone 60 years without a bath and never got married. There may be a correlation (laughs) between the two, (laughs) leading the London Daily News to call him the world's most ineligible bachelor. But hold on, hold on to that picture in your mind because you're about to see, hands down, the dirtiest of all. Open your Bible with me, please, to the little Old Testament book of Zechariah, next to the last book in the Old Testament, just before Malachi, which is just before Matthew. I need you to see it in your Bible. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. You didn't, you didn't uh, bring a Bible? Grab the pew Bible in front of you. It will be page 637. And while the ushers are coming your way, because this study guide is a keeper... Don't be intimidated by this study guide. We fly through it, but I want you to have it. I want you to study way beyond today. day, which you're about to hear. maybe the first time you've heard it. You need to get it. Hang on to the study guide. If you, you didn't, did you get, up, get them up here in the choir and the um, orchestra? Good. All right. So, our ushers are coming. Uh, those of you watching right now, live streaming, glad to have you. You're already at the website. Get the study guide. Most of you are used to getting that study guide. If you're watching now on television, Go to our website, it's on the screen for you, www.newperceptions.tv. You're looking for a little series that ends right now. Charmed into Righteousness, title of this final teaching, The Most Righteous Lord. Click onto that, you'll have the study guide. And I believe it's a keeper. So let's go. Zechariah chapter 3. I'm in the New International Version. We begin in verse 1. Then he... So, so uh, Zacharias envisioned... Then he, the angel, showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, angel of the Lord is code language in the Old Testament for the pre-incarnate Christ, all right? So, uh, that's just uh, uh, a hidden clue within the story. So, he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan. Okay, we know him. But in the Hebrew, it reads, the Satan... The article is there. Satan means adversary. We've just taken a noun and given it, made it a proper noun, but the Satan. Satan, he sees, standing at his right side. Oh, this side of favor. This is where a friend stands, always on the right side. So now we know we've got an imposter here who's trying to make you feel bad, all right? So he's standing at the right side of Joshua to accuse him. Now, verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, the Satan, the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan? The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you? Is this this man not a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel." What's going on here? We need a line from Isaiah. So, grab your study guide now because here's where you're going to have writer's cramp by the time you're through, but that's okay. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Put it on the screen for you. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Right in the word filthy. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. All of our righteousness, all of our right doing, our right behaving, our right believing, All of our right thinking, put it all together. It's like filthy rags. And the prophet Isaiah chooses a rather graphic word. He says it's like a menstrual rag. Actual Hebrew. That's the word. When I was young, I came to this parish, and the first season of preaching, I happened to quote this very text. A little naive at the time. I got a postcard, an anonymous postcard, the next week from a woman. It was written on a typewriter. You know what typewriter? Okay. It was written on a... T- <laughs> it was written on a typewriter in all caps, and it said something like this. May I remind you that the male issue is not so septic either. <laughs> See, I didn't realize how politically correct you have to be when you're on a campus. But that is just precisely the prophet's point. Whether it's the male issue of semen or the woman's issue of blood, you're unclean, and the Levitical code says it'll take a sacrifice to get you clean again. Some sacrifice will have to deliver you from that uncleanness. That, the old prophet says, is what all of our righteousness put together amounts to. Filthy, filthy rags. We're not any better than Joshua the high priest. Let's, Let's go. Verse 3, read it again. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by, approving of what has just transpired. Now what's happening? Let's go back to the same Isaiah who got us in trouble with filthy rags, and notice another verse. Isaiah 61, verse 10. Jot it down. I I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Write that down. He's clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Yo. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels... Joshua, the high priest, the representative of Jerusalem, the representative of Israel, the representative of the whole world, you and me, Joshua, the high priest, stands condemned before God in filthy rags, but the command goes forth, stop, time out, rip off those rags, put on this glorious robe instead. What's happening here? Ellen White in that little classic Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. Put it on the screen for you. Fill it in. Whatever may have been your past experience... However discouraging your present circumstances, if you will come to Jesus just as you are right now in this worship service, watching and live streaming, if you will come to Jesus just as you are, weak, helpless and despairing, our compassionate Savior will meet you a great way off. Now, that's a line pulled right out of the Prodigal Son story. A great way off. He'll meet you and he'll throw about he will throw about you his arms of love and his robe write that in and his his robe of righteousness what is that robe like keep reading he presents us to the father clothed in the white raiment of his own character that's the robe it's his character he wraps it around us he pleads before god in our behalf saying i have taken the sinner's place look not upon this wayward child but look on me does Satan plead loudly against our souls, accusing of sin and claiming us as his prey? Ah, the blood of Christ pleads with greater power. Hallelujah. End quote. It's no wonder Christ is called what He's called in this book. Jot them down now. Here they come. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The Righteous. That's what they call Him. He's the Righteous One. Keep writing. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 6. Now, this is His name. This descendant from David. This is His name by which He will be called the Lord our... All caps in most translations. The Lord our... What's that next word? Righteousness. Paul says, that's what I'm trying to tell you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It is because of God that you are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God. What do you mean, Paul? That is, He has become our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Ladies and gentlemen, it is inescapably clear that for John and Jeremiah and Paul, the, 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 the driving point they make, inescapable, is that Christ is our righteousness. Write that down. He is our righteousness. Whatever righteousness means, we haven't even defined it yet, but whatever it means, it's Jesus. Whatever it is, it's Jesus. So what is this rather archaic word? Righteousness, righteous. What does it mean for us third millennials? Come on, nobody uses it in in language today. So what's it mean? Let's turn to one of, the, one of the renowned New Testament scholars who happens to teach at a place called St. Andrew's University. Not to be confused with Andrew's University. St. Andrew's is in Scotland. Karen and I have walked over that beautiful village campus right by the sea. Whoa. His name is N.T. Wright. He's written the book Justification, God's Plan and Paul's Vision. Now, listen. Wright defines God's righteousness this way. Get it down. Jot it down in your study guide. God's righteousness is an outward-looking characteristic of God, linked, of course, to the concern for God's own glory, but essentially going, as it were, in the opposite direction that of God's creative, healing, restorative love. Keep reading. God's concern for God's glory is precisely rescued from the appearance of divine narcissism because God, not least God in Trinity, is always giving out. He's always pouring out, lavishing, generous love on undeserving people, undeserving Israel, and an undeserving world. That is the sort of God He is, and God's righteousness is a way of saying, yes, and God will be true to that character." End quote. That's what God is. You got it there, boy. That's it right there, what you've described. That's God's righteousness. In other words, God will be faithful to who He is. He'll be a righteous God who loves an undeserving world of sinners like you and me. He said, you can count on me. It's uh, undergirding every promise I made. I'm staying with you. Every promise I made, I've founded it on my righteousness. You're okay. Right continues. Jot it down. God's righteousness is that quality or attribute because of which He saves. It's who He is. And it's because I am who I am that I can save you. He saves His people. His acts of righteousness are thus the acts He performs as outworkings or demonstrations of His covenant faithfulness. Ah. It is who... I am who I am. Righteousness is righteousness. Who I am. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful characteristic and attribute of God. Oh, by the way, though, don't, don't, be, don't be fooled. Don't think there isn't another side to this. Come on, come on. God, What's God going to do with evil? Oh, he's going to curse it. Watch this. Right keeps going. Jot it down. Indeed, it is because God will be true to that outward-facing, generous, creative love. Now, here it comes. This is kind of comes. It's kind of a downer now, but watch this that He must also curse those ways of life, particularly those ways of life within His covenant people, which embody and express the opposite of His creative love. And therefore, He must curse everything that thwarts and destroys the blessing of His world and His people. End quote. So, listen, guys, here's the deal. While it's true there is a a soft side to divine righteousness, both the Old Testament and the New Testament depict a very fiery side to God's righteousness. It's called His righteous indignation. You've heard that. His wrath. What's the wrath about? It is His His hot passion against sin, against evil, against darkness. And if I choose to hang on to that it. If I choose to hang on to that darkness, if I embrace that evil, what I've done is I have essentially erected this massive wall between me and my darkness and this God who says, my righteousness is holy, it's pure, it's loving. I'm everything. I'm everything you want. But this wall, how can I get through? What's a good God to do? I want to bless her. I want to bless him. But the wall, they're hanging on. Dwight's hanging on to this thing. Ah, oh, what he has to do. What he has to do. He's got to find a way to woo you and me away from our self-destruction. It'll eventually kill me. If I, if I, if I embrace this, what I'm doing, it'll eventually kill me. John three sixteen. Come on, you know this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Brothers and sisters, come on. This, this is what's called the good news. This is the good news of the, of, of the gospel. It's what we just talked about. It's about God with His, with His righteousness, His loving, runaway and rebel children like you and me. In fact, it's this God, it's the one who created the entire universe, who stepped forward one day and said, I'll be the one. I will go. Let me infiltrate their world. Let me become one with them. And so Christ, the Creator, He comes down. Uh, jot this down, 1 Timothy 1:15. He came down here, and here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. It's the whole gospel. That's why He came, to save us, in spite of the wall that we've erected. Keep reading. Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. There's Calvary for you. There's the cross through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Oh, oh here it comes. His righteousness so as to be just, as to be true to himself and his law, and yet the one who justifies, the one who saves those who have faith in Jesus. So how did this righteous God pull it off? Jot it down. Second 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, and then, <clears throat> then verse 21. For Christ's love compels us, The persuasive force of divine love, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. God made Him, Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Christ we might become, here it is, the righteousness of God. You get what's happening here? God has set up this massive, intergalactic, celestial exchange Captured by these well-known words in Desire of Ages. Desire of Ages is on the screen for you. Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as He deserves. He was condemned for our sins, in which He had no share, that we might be justified by His righteousness, in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours that we might receive the life which was His with His stripes. We are healed. Isaiah, Isaiah 53. So that's the righteousness of God. But here's the question that begs to be asked. Okay, so I understand this about God, but what does this righteousness have to do with me? What happens in me with this righteousness? Critical question. We've got to answer it. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. I want you to read it on the screen. I want you to find it first in your Bible. Romans chapter 5. The great... The great pinnacle of salvation and righteousness by faith in Scripture. Romans chapter 5. I want you to, let's read verse 19. Find it on your tablet or self. That's fine. Romans chapter 5, verse, verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Now, what's going on here? Jot it down on your, your study guide, please. It repeats. For justice through the disobedience of the one man, that would be Adam, okay? The many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, that would be Christ, the many will be made righteous. So something starts happening to us that will concern this righteousness as well. To illustrate it, uh, N.T. Wright says, I want to tell you a story. It's a fictitious story, but it helps. Here's, here's the story. Put it on the screen. The language of righteousness in the Old Testament regularly refused, refers, rather, to the law court or the quasi-law court situation. So here comes the story. Let's imagine a fictitious scenario in ancient Israel. Azariah... Okay, two, uh, two Hebrews, two men, Man named Azariah, man named Bildad, go to the law before Gamaliel, who's acting as a judge. Now, Azariah is accusing Bildad of having stolen one of his sheep. This guy has stolen one of my sheep. Bring justice out of this. So, Gamaliel hears the case and he finds in favor of Bildad. He didn't steal. The court declares that the accusation is unfounded and that Bildad is innocent. Now, hold on. This is really, this is, this is, this is a piece you got to get. That finding in favor, that declaration is called justification. Now, that's a long word, but write it down. Justification. That's what the Bible says. It's a court term. Justification. Well, what does justification mean? Keep reading. Its result is that Bildad is now righteous. He's considered righteous. That is in the right. Oh, that helps. In the right. He is, in other words, the vindicated defendant, And that's what Romans 5 is describing has happened to you and me. Justification. In fact, I want you to see this. This is... We, 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 we left out verse 18 on purpose. Go back to verse 18. Consequently... Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, that would be Adam's sin, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people, thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, you know this. Because of Adam's sin, the entire human race is declared fallen, and every human being, including you and me, born into this race, tragically, we participate in that fallenness. Not because of Adam, but because of us. We go the same path. Our only hope is that somewhere in the universe, somebody might find a second Adam, another Adam, to come down here, go over the very ground where we keep falling, but now do it without falling, with with radical faith in God and a spotless righteousness. And that, that is what Romans chapter 5, verse 18, is declaring, somebody was, fo- was found. Obviously, this is the good news. Christ, the righteous one, has come, and in our humanity... And by the way, in our humanity, holding on to His Father for dear life, He whooped the devil on His own ground. He won. Bearing our sins to His death. Should have been our death. He dies in our place. Jot it down. Oh, you got to get this. Romans 5:18. Don't miss this. One righteous act resulted, we just read this. One righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. You know what that means? Oh, it, by the way, how many people? How many people? Half the people? Three-quarters of the people? How many how many of the human race? How many? What does it say? All the human race has stepped into the courtroom of, of the eternal, as it were, and God has brought that gavel down, and He has declared, because of that death, because of His death, I declare the entire human race acquitted. I... Everybody's pardoned. Everybody is forgiven right now because of the second Adam who came in our place. Whoa. Through the death of Jesus, God has justified the entire human race. Now, that stuff comes as a bit, of a bit of a surprise to some, but I need you to see it's exactly what you just read. And by the way, a little lady, an American writer named Ellen White, jumps right on this bandwagon, and she says, long before N.T. Wright, this is what's happened. Look at this. Ministry of Healing, jotted down. With His own blood, Jesus has signed the emancipation papers of the race. Remember, 1863, January 1, Abraham Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation. Every slave in the United States is hereby declared what? Free. You are free to go. Now, everybody didn't go go free. You know why? Because they didn't know. Somebody has to come and tell you, you've been free. All this stuff, you didn't know. I have good news for you. You are free. Jesus signed the papers for the entire human race. We just got to get to him fast before he comes. In another book of hers, she writes, she, she, even more graphic here on the screen, Christ took in his grasp the world over which Satan claimed to preside as his lawful territory, and by Jesus' wonderful work in giving his life, he restored the whole race of men and women to favor with God. Can you believe that? The entire human race has already been pardoned, already been acquitted. Your mission and mine is, first of all, to discover that for ourselves so that we get set free, and then find everybody we know. Hey, by the way, do you know that you're not bound? You are not not a slave any longer. Has anybody told you? I'm telling you right now. That's the deal. What a God. 2,000 years ago. Are you getting this? It was all done 2,000 years ago. What did Jesus say on the cross as He expired? It is continuing. Come on. It is almost over. What did he say? It is finished. It was done 2,000 years ago. Do you know what that means? Come on. Let's, let's just soak this in for a moment. You don't have to persuade God to love you ever, ever, ever. <laughs> I loved you 2,000 years ago. You don't have to persuade God to forgive you. Ever, ever, ever. He said, I forgave you 2,000 years ago. You don't have to persuade God to accept you. He said, I accepted you 2,000 years ago. It's a done deal. The only way it can't be done for you is if you refuse to have it done for you. Let me do it. Let me whisper to you the truth. And I'll snatch you like that burning stick out of the fire, and you're mine forever, girl. Boy, you're mine forever. Wow. And when two young men 130 years ago almost began to preach this very teaching, Ellen White was absolutely jubilant. Write it down. Put her words on the screen. The Lord, in His great mercy, sent a most... Circle that, will you? most precious message people through Pastors Wagner and Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world. We think that we have this little internal, internal teaching that has to get out to everybody that thinks like me. No, it's the whole planet that needs to hear this. Write it down. It, needed to, it must be brought more prominently before the world, What? The uplifted Savior. The sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification. Oh, that law court term that we just learned. It presented justification through faith in the surety. That would be Jesus. It invited the people, this message, to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. Many had lost sight of Jesus. Jot that down. They needed to have their eyes directed to His divine person. His merits, His changeless love for the human family. I love this. All power is given into Christ's hands that He may dispense rich gifts unto men and women, imparting the priceless gift of His own righteousness. Do yourself a favor. In that quotation right now, circle those words. The priceless gift of His own righteousness. That's what He gives to the helpless human agent. That would be you and me. This is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message, which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in a large measure." End quote. Wow. Some kind soul, a lady, on the West Coast, unsolicited. I didn't know her. Still don't. She sent me a book through the mail. Found it on the desk when I came to church one day. Title of the book, Living by Faith, a collection of editorials by E.J. Wagner, the physician-turned preacher that, with his partner Jones, brought this most precious message. As I read the 49 editorials in that book, I came across something I had never seen, not from any writer, not from any book, a, a, a string of verses with a stunning understanding, they provide, of how God's righteousness can be operationalized. How this, this, this theory that we're talking about, how it can become an operation in your life. And I've got to share this with you before I sit down, because you've never heard of this before, I promise you. Okay, you're going to have to jot these verses down. Stunning st- string of verses. Here they come, Romans 1, Jot it down. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Power. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So the power of God and his righteousness are all bound together. All right, here's a, here we go now. Here comes something. Psalm 33, the great psalm, you know it, verses 6 and 9. Jot it down. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. The word. Did you get that? The word. That's what comes out of his mouth. The Word. By the Word of the Lord were the heavens made. Let there be light, let there be earth, let there be birds. Okay, the Word. By the Word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host, by the, <sighs> by the breath of His mouth. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The power of God unleashed in the gospel is unleashed to His Word. It's His very breathing. When He speaks and breathes a word, something immediately happens. One more text. Now two more. John six, Jesus speaking here, the actual divine agent of creation. John six sixty three, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. My words will infuse life and spirit into you. I speak them. One more text. Second, Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen. Oh, this is something. All scripture. How much of scripture? How much of scripture? All scripture is God breathed. Let's just let you uh, savor that thought for a moment. All Scripture is God-breathed. The NIV renders it. (sighs) God-breathed. All Scripture, all God's Word, God-breathed. By the breath of His mouth, the universe is created. Everything happens through the Word. Everything happens with what He breathes and speaks. Notice how E.J. Wagner applies this string of verses. Put it on the screen for you. When the word of God names something, then the thing that is named is formed. Whatever is described by the word exists in that word. Thus, and this, this is very unique. I'd never th- thought of this before. Thus, it is impossible for God to lie, for his word makes the thing so. So, if we all got up, come on, come on. We all got up and we went outside, and God was with us, and he says, Hey guys, I want you to see the chartreuse colored sky. Guess, what's, guess what color the sky would be? Chartreuse, because he said it. He's not going to lie. So if it's chartreuse, it's chartreuse. What he speaks is. So God looks at you and he says, you know what? You are now righteous. Guess what? You are now righteous. God looks at you. He looks into your heart. He looks at what you did last week and you've come to him. He says, you know what, girl? You are cleansed and pure. Guess what? You are now cleansed and pure. He speaks it. You become it. He speaks it. You become it." So, Jesus looks at this paralytic, lowered down to the hole in the roof, and He says, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Boom, they're forgiven. And a glow spreads across His face. Why? Because when you speak the Word, when the Divine speaks the Word, what's in the Word happens. And then Jesus says, "'I know you don't believe I can do this. I know you don't believe I can do this, but watch this. Take up your bed and walk.'" And the boy takes up his bed and walks. He says, "'See, I can do it.'" One word. One word makes all the difference in the world. His word. His word is what makes the difference. And when He speaks it to you, you got it. Oh, I suppose you could say, no, I don't want that word. No, don't don't, don't touch me with that word. Well, you won't. But if you receive that word, just like that, what the word represents happens as reality in your heart. Oh, my. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. And their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Which means that when the judge of the universe convenes his courtroom and he looks at you and he says, You are justified, you are acquitted, pardoned, all charges dropped. Guess what? You are justified, acquitted, pardoned, all charges dropped. When he says it, it is. For the Lord spake, and it was so. (laughs) Jesus says, For the words I speak, they are spirit and life. You don't believe that about Jesus? One more text. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation, that means the Son and the Father, eternal as they are, they, they are, share that same character, exact representation of His being. What does the Son do? He sustains all things by His powerful Word. Write that down. That's how powerful is the righteousness of God, because when you ask Him for it, He speaks it. You have it. Wagner's absolutely right. The breath of God, which has creative energy in it, is that which gives us the precepts and the promises of the Bible. That creative Word is the power of the Gospel. That Word is the power of the Gospel. The power of redemption is the power of creation, for redemption is creation. Come on. If any woman is in Christ, if any man is in Christ, he is a new what? He is a new creation. Old things have passed away with the Word. Old things that passed away, behold, all things become new. It's in the Word. When He speaks the Word and you receive the Word, you got what He just spoke. Wow. For He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. You know what that means? (laughs) We just got to believe. We have to believe His Word. In that mustard seed of faith... What his word has promised, you got, you got it. Go. Now watch where Wagner. No, no, no. no watch, watch this. This very, this, this is, this is uh, crucial. Watch where Wagner goes with this line of reasoning on the screen again to declare is to speak, so when God declares His righteousness in Christ for the remission of sins... We just read that, Romans 3.25. Righteousness is spoken into and on you to take the place of your sins, which are taken away. And now, here, here it comes. It is not simply a passive righteousness that is declared on you, but the real active righteousness, for the word of the Lord is alive, and God's righteousness is re and active Dwight, what in the world did he just say? I need you to catch this, because what he just said is this. Quietly, Jones and Wagner with what God asked them to teach, quietly they have veered away from the traditional understanding that N.T. right represents. Because here's what N.T. right says. What justification is about? Change of status. No change inside, but a change of status. But God raised up two young preachers to begin to teach. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what's there. That, along with the change of status is the unleashing of power. Now, hold on. Hold on. Hans Larendel, one of my revered professors when I was in the seminary here, sleeps in Jesus now. That man's teaching brought a crisis of my own faith, and that's how I found Christ as a young adult. Hans Larendel, in his book, Christ Our Salvation, what God does for us and in us, supports this very point. Put his words on the screen. However justification implies more than a mere legal transaction. The righteousness of of Christ is a transforming power. Jot that down. Transforming. It is a principle, quoting Desire of Ages now, it is a principle of life that transforms the character and controls the conduct. Now, Laurendale goes on. Many have too abstract and narrow a view of forgiveness and justification. This led E.G. White to state, quoting now Mount of Blessing, "...God's forgiveness is not merely a judicial act by which He sets us free from condemnation. It is not only forgiveness for sin, but reclaiming from sin. It is the outflow of redeeming love that transforms the heart." End quote. This most precious message unleashed in the midst of this tiny little faith community, but to go to the world? What is this message? It's a message that, you know what? The the righteousness of God is not only... It is not only a change in your status. When God justifies you, He doesn't say, hey... Not, Not only does He say, charges drop, you're acquitted, you're forgiven, but with the word that He speaks, just as He did with the paralytic, He not only spoke the word of forgiveness, but the word right behind it is the word, be healed. Be changed. Let My righteousness come in. Let Me transform you." That's what He's saying. How did Jesus put it? The words that I speak to you are full of the Spirit and life. With one word, He pardons us, and with the next word, He empowers us. The forgiven and healed paralytic, just like that man, when we receive that gift, Both the power and the pardon are bestowed in the gift of that righteousness. By the way, David, in that great prayer of his... put it in for you, Psalm 103. David is absolutely clear that the two go together. Watch this. Bless the Lord. Let's read this out loud together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. You see, the word that speaks of pardon is a word that speaks power, and with the forgiveness comes the healing. All happens. One God, one gift. His righteousness. Christ, our righteousness. Oh, my. Oh, my. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground, all other ground is sinking sand. And to that, I say hallelujah and amen. What do you say? Amen. Pull out your Connect card, please. It's in your worship bulletin. Guests from around the Great Lakes states, delighted that you're here. Pull out your Connect card. We must respond to this. Every week, put your name, email address on the front. Let's go. Go to the back. My next step. I confess. Here it is, box number one. I confess that I am a sinner. And I choose daily to receive God's offer to exchange my filthy rags for Christ's spotless robe of righteousness. Do you want that? Wow! Well, I want that every day. Hey, guys, every day when I wake up, that's what I want. I want the get the filthy rags from yesterday off of me. Get them off of me. Put that robe back on me. I want that robe. Every day. I hope we all can put that check mark there. Now, look at box number two. I would like to be baptized into Jesus Christ, my Savior, and my righteousness. You may be older than Davy. And by the way, was that a beautiful testimony or what? Man, a little child shall lead them. That's what was happening right there. I want to share this, he said. When I, when I go into Jesus and I'm baptizing Him, I'm going to share it with the world. Did he say seven billion he's going to reach? You go, Davy. Dream big for God. He's sending you to the world, boy. He's already got a plan for you. Like Davy, you may never have been baptized before. You may be older, and who cares? It's time for you to get baptized into Jesus Christ, your Savior, and your righteousness. Nothing will do it like baptism. Nothing will do it like baptism. That's why, right after Romans 5, Romans 6 is all about baptism. Right after Romans 5, Paul says, let's talk about, let's talk about getting baptized. If you have not been baptized, would you take this moment right now and put a check mark there? We were just Praising God with how many made the decision last Sabbath to put a check mark for baptism? I wonder how many here today. You're up here and you're not even a member here. You put a check mark there. Just turn that card in just one second, and we'll, we'll we'll get to whoever needs to know that information. If you have not been baptized, today's a day to make the decision. It's your timetable. Put a check mark there. Oh, by the way, box number 3. I will pray for the mission to Cuba. You see the dates there. This Friday night, 30 seminarians will be preaching in Santiago, the second biggest city in Cuba. Pray for us, please, for 10 days as we preach the third angel's message. Let's pray. Oh, God. <sighs> Went into a little overtime here because, Father, this, this can't be cut up. This is, this is a standalone truth, and we needed to hear it. Some of us are desperate to know this good news assure every man woman young adult teenager and child here or watching live streaming or anywhere on the planet through television assure all of us that the news really is this good two thousand years ago you dropped charges on the entire human race we've all been forgiven we've been acquitted we have been declared free why would we go on living as if we are in bondage when you've declared us free. And so, Father, we must first experience it or it's not good news. But once we know it, send us into the world to people who need to know this life-liberating truth in Christ Jesus. That's who our hope is built on. Yes, in Christ we pray. Amen.